Hey everyone, I am your host, Chrishell Fulmer. Welcome to the Unalike podcast. So excited to be back with my co-host, Natalia Bonner. Natalia, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm back. It feels <laughs> like it's been a hot minute, but I'm back. We can talk about how hot the weather's been, how hot the, we call it the hot shop's been, or we could talk about all sorts of hot minutes over here for the last however long it's been since we recorded okay i heard something really fun about you the other day but really it shocked me so i'm about to spill the beans um i oh, learned something scary. yeah i learned something about you that i did not know i learned that you have never cooked a pork chop never ever have <laughs> i cooked a pork chop i um yeah, that's a really random fact. I've never cooked one. I'm actually <laughs> terrified to cook pork for some reason. So I no, I have not cooked a pork chop before. I can't remember. And I really don't know. Yeah. I can't remember what turned me on to that or how I found out. It was something that I heard. Uh, but you and I have a really great family recipe for pork chops that has been passed down from our grandma. And, and I think it's easy, you throw them in the oven and you, you add some cream of mushroom soup and a little bit of Lipton onion soup mix and you let them cook. And it's awesome because you said it and you know that they're gonna cook for an hour. But mm -hmm. I'm curious to know how many of our listeners, how many of our viewers have a great pork chop recipe? Because Natalia <laughs> says that she's a little bit scared to cook pork. I'm going to cook bacon. Let's be honest. I'm going to cook all the bacon and all the sausage and probably ham. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know that I've ever loved a pork chop that I've had, even if it has been a family recipe. So <laughs> never been enticed to make one. One of my favorite parts of the fair is going to the junior livestock sale where the young people in the community have taken the summer to raise an animal, either a steer, a pig or a sheep. And they, they start out at the beginning of spring when this animal is a baby and it's up to the young person to raise it, to feed it, to train it. And then they get to go to the fair, the county fair in the fall and show their animal at a live auction where members of the community are going to come out and bid on buying that animal. Mm -hmm. And the purpose usually is to then, um, be able to butcher the animal and uh have something you know meat for the the freezer for the winter mm -hmm. so i did just recently attend the junior livestock sale here in my town and i thought it was fantastic to see all of these young people in fact we had one gal who was a little bit excited about her pig so she actually rode her pig out into the arena <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome but uh, you know, anyway, speaking of pork chops and, and mm. bacon and all of the goodness that comes from these That's animals, <laughs> I just have to give a shout out to everyone who's worked so hard this year to raise an animal and to be able to show them at the fair. <laughs> I'm probably not going to do that either. So <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to put a pig in your backyard and let the kids raise it? Nope. And I could tell you a story about why when I was a little kid and tried to raise a cow, but it's probably way too graphic for most people here. So yeah, I'm never going to raise an animal like that. We did, for those who are wondering, Natalia and I did grow up on a small kind of a hobby farm. We had four horses 
eight sheep, two cats, and one dog. Occasionally, those were the full timers. And then occasionally we raised a couple of beef cows, as Natalia alluded to. Mm-hmm. And I remember one year we had chickens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm surprised I actually eat chicken now because of that <laughs> childhood experience. <laughs> Well, because of that childhood experience, I could care less for lamb. I'm not a fan of lamb chops, but uh, yeah, I can eat the rest of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and for those who are wondering also, uh, we had to do chores morning and night. Um, so we were raised and taught how to uh, go out. It doesn't matter if you have a you know, in the olden days, we didn't call them play dates. It, it didn't matter if you had an activity with friends. It, I can remember having a high school choir concert and mm-hmm. our parents were like, Shell, don't forget to go do your chores. So I had to go and do the horses and make sure everyone was taken care of before mm-hmm. putting on my dress and heading off to the choir concert. So <laughs> we were raised a little bit in the country, did some country things. Yeah. <laughs> Probably why we both chosen to um, not live there. Not live in the country anymore. I've ended up back in the country, but you've managed to stay away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is super random. And I actually should be very embarrassed to even share this. I worked as a dental assistant for a lot of years. And over the last few years, I have not had dental insurance because I'm self-employed. So I haven't been to the dentist. Like I know I should, but I've taken care of my teeth and I've done my best to protect what I have. But today I had to go to the dentist. Well, I needed to, it was time. It's been too long. And I went and I only have one cavity. And I'm so proud of myself that the, everybody in the office is like, wow, we would have thought you'd been in every six months. I was all proud of myself. Credit to that experience that you gained (laughs) while you were working as a dental assistant. Yeah. So there's my good news. Do you have any? <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to only having one cavity. I know. I'm kind of proud. I obviously didn't want to have any, but yeah, I'm okay with one. Yeah. We, uh, this might be a little bit of a, I, I get not personal. I, I think that we can talk about it, but um, a little bit of good news, some fun news for our family. We've decided that this upcoming school year, we're inviting a foreign exchange student into our home. And so we have received confirmation from our foreign exchange students family that he is um, booking airfare right now and he'll be here in just the next couple of days. And we're so excited to welcome him. We are really looking forward to inviting this young person into our home and over the next nine months, telling him, showing him, and um, giving him the gift of living in America and and just seeing some of our favorite things to do here. I think it'll be a way cool experience for you and your girls. Were your girls excited? My nine-year-old, I'm trying to remember how she said <laughs> it. She, I, I made reference to, I, I think at one point I had, I, I had told Lexi, you guys are going to be riding the bus together and i said this is gonna be so much fun it's like you've got your um own big brother he'll he'll be on the bus with you every day like you'll have your own personal bodyguard (laughs) i think that made tenley's mind her ears her mind start to kind of go down that line because after a minute she says mom and and for those of you who are uh listening i'm swinging my fist back and forth in the air (laughs) 
Tenley puts her arm up like this, swinging her fist, and she says, Mom, if anyone says anything to him, like if they make fun, do I have your permission? She starts pointing at Dustin and I, do I have your permission to punch them? Because these babies can't hold themselves back. <laughs> and we both kind of look at her like, where do you come up with this stuff? But I guess these babies, they're waiting to pop. So geez, that's what we, that's what we've got to deal with. But yeah, that's our good news. Good <laughs> oh my gosh. It makes me stress. I think it's going to be awesome. It'll be a fascinating experience yeah on a real like it will be so fascinating to see to experience but also to see how your girls react and yeah yeah fascinating on many levels <laughs> yeah so we are so excited to introduce this week's guest and i know she's someone who you know very well as well holly ledbetter is someone who has had a lot thrown at her in just the last few years she is a college athlete actually went to college met her husband there she is a military wife she is a mother of twins and she is raising a young boy, a son who has albinism. I did interview her earlier this morning, so we've already had a chance to chat and I'm, I'm going to uh, let you guys listen in on our conversation. But because I already did that interview, one thing I just wanted to mention that we did not talk about through the interview, when someone is living with albinism, they have a very fair skin, fair complexion. And so as Holly talks through this, you're going to come to learn and to understand that the reason why Charlie always wears a hat, and it doesn't matter if it's to school, if it's at home, around the house, going to church, Charlie always wears a hat. And it's because he is so fair skinned that he's extra sensitive to the sun. And so this is actually to help protect him from the sun. And uh, something else she told me that I found to be very interesting is that even at just eight years old, he goes in for a cancer screening on an annual basis. So really some fascinating things that you're about to hear, but I wanted to just preface with saying that um, this is all an effort to help protect him, uh, protect him from things that you and I might take for granted. So without making you wait any longer, we'll go ahead and um, head over to Holly and and uh, catch up on our conversation. We just mentioned that you have accomplished so much in your life. We were doing a quick rundown of some of the things that you that you have um, accomplished. That you are a college athlete. That that is where you and your husband Forrest met, actually on the track and field team at Southern Utah University. We mentioned that you are a mom. You have three kids, two of whom are twins. And to top all of that off, you're a military wife. That's quite a mouthful, um, but it also means that you've been really busy. Yeah, it's been a busy eight years, but I've loved every minute. So probably deserving of these of this upcoming school year, so having a little bit of um, R&R time for yourself. Oh, I'm looking forward to it, that's for sure. <laughs> We're going to get into the, um, the kids a little bit more and talk a little bit about um, what it's taken to get them here. I know that in the beginning, you struggled a little bit with infertility and and I think as most moms dream, this this was something you wanted more than anything in the world. But but after you and Forrest were married, found out that it wasn't as easy as you thought maybe to start having kids. Yeah, 
Absolutely. It was a uh, Horace would always joke when we were first married, like five years, we got to wait five years before we have kids. And that, um, we both were like, there's no way it's really going to be a full five years, like maybe two or three, but it really was. They were born. The twins were born the day after our fifth anniversary. Wow. So yeah, uh, yeah. five years took a little bit of time and it did. And I know five we, years feels a lot longer when that's something that you're trying for. Yeah, absolutely. And the last like two years of that were when we were really like seeing doctors and trying to go through the whole process. And it was super emotional, very expensive. Forrest was working like crazy. I had a job and it was just really, really hard. Sure, sure. I can imagine. So so you're going through the heartbreak, the um, the attempts to try and get kids here. And then the good news comes that you're pregnant. Yeah. Tell us about... Mm-hmm. What happened when you found out or maybe got that first positive test? Yeah, so um, we had done, we've been working with a fertility doctor in California, and we had done three rounds of insemination, and all three of them failed. And so every time you go to find out that you go first thing in the morning and get a blood test, and then they call you later that day with the result. And, you know, every month, month after month, I would get the call at work or wherever I was that it was a you know, unfortunately, it didn't work this time. And so then we, after those three rounds, we jumped to doing IVF, which is a much more involved process. It took a surgery beforehand and a lot more, um, just a lot more going on. And so I was on so many medications and everything. And it was a Sunday morning, about four weeks after I'd started the IVF process. And I went in to have my blood draw first thing that morning. And then came back and we were like, well, I guess we go to church. Like we have to keep ourselves busy while we wait for the call for them to test the blood. And so I was at church and I was in the middle of young women's. I was a leader in the young women's class and I was sitting in the class and my phone rang. So I ran outside. (laughs) Forrest wasn't with me or anything. And I answered the phone and I didn't hear, unfortunately, that time she said, congratulations. And it was my nurse that I'd had the whole time. I knew her well and she was crying with me. I was sobbing on the phone. I went and grabbed Forrest and we sobbed together. It was just, it was, I'll never forget it. Yeah. At that point, did they know that there were two babies? No, they had um, put in two embryos. So we knew there was a good chance of twins, but it was, I think maybe two more weeks after that, before we did an ultrasound to confirm that it was twins. Yeah. So surprise number one came, congratulations, yeah. you're pregnant. And you reveled in that joy for a couple of days. I'm sure you didn't get a lot done. Yeah, nope. I was sick already. <laughs> I was anxious. <laughs> I was excited. All the, all the emotion. Yeah. So walk us yeah. through that journey. What happened two weeks later? Uh, so we, it was Christmas break. We were about to go. We lived in California. We were about to come to Utah to see our families. And we went in for that first ultrasound. And yeah, the doctor said, look like there's two babies in there and we you know we weren't as surprised I think as some people are because we knew there was a very high chance there would be twins but for us still I think he just about passed out (laughs) I was just (laughs) totally thrilled after so much time and so much waiting and money spent and everything I couldn't be happier to have twins yeah Healthy pregnancy uh I I recall seeing we're going to show a picture of you when you were pretty close to your delivery date and your stomach is i think the great part about it is you stayed skinny nothing except your belly grew and boy did it grow 
I was gigantic. I was working, I was coaching track at a high school. And I remember like other coaches and everything coming up from behind to talk to me. And as yeah. soon as I would turn around, they were always like, whoa, like, I didn't know you were pregnant. I got that so much. Like, wow, would have had no idea you were pregnant from behind. But I turn around, my belly sticks out four feet. So it was pretty big. Yeah. Well, it, that, I guess that's what happens when there's two inside, right? Yeah. They were big. They were seven pounds, two ounces and five pounds, 10 ounces. Oh, gosh. Gosh, they were big babies. Big yeah. Babies, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 12 plus pounds that you were carrying yeah. around. Yep. <laughs> so pretty healthy pregnancy, right? Yeah. Other, I mean, I was very sick, you know, uh, I mean, not like medically in the hospital sick, mm -hmm. but just a lot of morning sickness mm -hmm. and nausea and everything, the whole, the yeah. whole pregnancy. But um, other than that, yeah, I was healthy. I couldn't yeah. exercise or spend too much time on my feet, but I could still, you know, work and walk around and I ate a full watermelon every day and <laughs> that was about it. During the pregnancy, um, heartbeat sounded good. Uh, everything that you were receiving signs from the babies was that everything looked great. Babies looked healthy as well. Yep. Totally. Just super positive. Nothing, yeah. you know, concerning everything was good. And, and then come delivery time, you ended up with a surprise. Tell us yes. about that. So um, the day our twins were born, they came and Caroline, Charlie came first. And I didn't, when you're having twins, like I had to be in the operating room, even though I didn't have a C-section and I had like four doctors and so many nurses in there. And then two nurses from the NICU for each of the babies, just in case they needed to take them away. Like it was total chaos. So I, you know, it was just, I was with it, but it was really wild. So Charlie was born and I'm still like, I can't even focus on having my baby because I'm still pushing out another baby. <laughs> and Caroline had turned feet down. So they were trying to do a breech extraction. So I was just focusing on that and didn't even really, be, you know, couldn't focus on Charlie. Caroline came out. I got to hold her first and she had this beautiful brown hair and blue eyes and was just the sweetest. And then they had a Charlie and he was also just completely dreamy, but he had just bright white hair. And I remember like within the next few days, all the nurses from the hospital were like, we hear there's a white haired baby in here. And you hear people saying, oh, he's such a toe head. Like they just have really blonde hair or my baby was born like that too. I heard that so much. So I didn't really think anything of it. Like I've seen blonde babies before. And then the nurse right before the doctor, pediatrician that came and looked at them right before we went home said, I think you should get him looked at by a geneticist for possible albinism. And I was like, what in the heck is that? Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. My baby's perfect. We're good. You know, didn't really even consider it. And then we get home and I was asking Forrest a little bit more about it. Like, what did he mean? And Forrest was like, you know, albinism, like an albino. I was like, this seems kind of far-fetched, isn't it? Like people don't actually give birth to people with albinism. Like that seems strange. So I just kind of push it off, push it off. And then we had their two week pediatrician appointment and it was a new doctor. We didn't know a friend had recommended him. And I, he was very, very blunt and I was not ready. You know, you just feel like these perfect babies, they're mine, they're beautiful, they're perfect. There's nothing wrong with them. And he was like treating Charlie like he was a test subject or like, you know, just like this science project. And I just 
I left in tears. I was mad. Forrest called like, I actually think that day he went back in and talked to the doctor again and was like, listen, <laughs> you did not handle that well. And we were just, we did not go back to that doctor needless yeah. to say, but I was just so not ready to admit anything was wrong. And even it took six months for me to finally, you know, of several different doctors telling me they thought he had albinism to a final doctor um, when he was about six months old, once we moved to Utah, who told me, yeah, there's no doubt he has albinism. And so that at that point, I was ready to accept it. You have said that uh, in learning this about Charlie, and in fact, the first time, maybe even before you left the hospital, the first time that when the words were even just uttered, that your initial response was devastation. I didn't know all of the things that went along with albinism, like there's low vision impairment, there's light sensitivity. I just was thinking of the visual aspects of it, like, a, you know, what you see in the movies, the white hair, the white skin and the red eyes. And I just felt total denial and to, like, it's not what you have planned for your life. You know, you're finally expecting these two beautiful babies after so much trying and they're just going to be perfect. And they're going to, you know, I'd had visions of them like, looking identical, even they're not identical twins, but of them looking similar and being confused for each other. And then just to have them such a stark difference was, it took a lot of getting used to. Yeah. And I, that's what I love about you. And I think is so authentic is that you're able to so eloquently express probably what many parents would feel, how happy and how overjoyed you were to have two babies here and two healthy babies. But at the end of the day, it, it was a different plan and a, a different path than what you had envisioned. So we're going to sure. keep talking more about this path and what's transpired. The twins just had a birthday. They yeah. are now seven, eight, eight. They turned yeah, from they seven to eight. eight. So yeah. it's been eight years of living with Charlie and Charlie with who has albinism. And I'm so excited to go deeper into that and to talk a little bit more. So. Um, thank you for sharing yeah. some of those first things that you went through. I know that's very vulnerable and that's opening up and expressing a lot of your innermost feelings, but I appreciate you taking us all there with you and helping us to understand the ups and downs that you had to go through to get Charlie here. Yeah, totally. No problem. So the twins were born albinism and, and you even said, I, um, that hearing that word was a little bit, what the heck even is that? And I, I think a few more of us have heard the word albino, but mm -hmm. um, you have told me that for some people, the word albino may be offensive. So talk about that. Yeah, I think it's just the same as like, um, you know, describing someone as autistic instead of having autism, or um, it just, people can feel like that is, you're just, labeling them that as their identity instead of being a person who lives with autism or in Charlie's case instead of being an albino being a person who lives with albinism yeah. I if people call him albino I don't like get prickly paired you know but a lot of people in the albinism community do yeah such a great point to be aware of something for the rest of us to consider now I, right. I know that um, albinism is definitely less common approximately one in roughly 20,000 people born with this condition is this mm -hmm. something that is genetic yeah it is genetic so both parents need to carry their recessive gene so both Forrest and I apparently have the recessive gene so if we were to have more children um, one in four chance is what we have of having a child with albinism who knew yeah, who knew? 
who knew? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> so this has been a fun adventure. And I know that your friends and family have had quite the journey following along as you have documented the story of um, Charlie and Caroline through Facebook, through some of your online journaling. And they are quite the characters. Get Putting they these are. twins together has been no easy feat for you. Yep, they're... <laughs> they're getting easier now <laughs> but they were they were wild little ones like i remember from the time they were i think they started climbing out of their cribs at like 14 months old and i could not keep them safe and so we had to turn their cribs over on top of them like cages <laughs> for a period of time obviously in the safest way possible but trying to keep them in there they dumped out bags of protein powder on the floor they've I remember one time Caroline came and got me and said, mom, Charlie made a mess or something. He was probably two. And we went into the bathroom to find that he'd got a whole box of um, melted otter pops, unfrozen otter pops and opened them all, ripped them all open. And they were all over the walls and all over the toilet and all over the carpet <laughs> or the, you know, the rugs. And, oh, it's a mess. <laughs> Probably just proving to you that Charlie's no different from any other toddler yeah, boy out there. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> he can do anything anybody else can do and then some. <laughs> the protein powder, just to elaborate there, this wasn't just dump it upside down. There were two bags, you said, and I know one was chocolate, one was vanilla. And then the kids were very intentional with their brown and white protein powder. Yes. yes they were trying to build a temple. So the bread, and they were full bags of like $60 bags of protein from Costco. And they dumped out the chocolate first to make dirt. They were trying to build a temple and then the white on top of it to make the temple on top of the dirt. White walls, white. So yeah. so they're very um, intuitive. I mean, there was yeah. some definite- uh, They were yeah. planning it, yep. <laughs> and something about frozen berries. Oh yeah, we had a full bag of frozen mixed berries that they dumped out on right in the middle of my carpet in the living room. They dumped out a whole bag and all three of them, I have a younger daughter too, she's 18 months younger than them, and all three of them sitting around the pile of berries with a spoon eating breakfast off the carpet. <laughs> My favorite is that you said on more than one occasion, you have woken up to the kids each eating their own bowl of powdered sugar. Yeah, that's I'm like, Charlie, what did you have for breakfast? Powdered sugar. <laughs> well, I should be a more attentive mom. Oh, righty then. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> so these kids are definitely keeping you on your toes. Now we come back to the albinism side of things. Have you noticed around the house things that are different for Charlie from your girls who do not have albinism? Yeah. Um, so he's pretty typically developing like we've said he compensates really well for his poor vision so a lot of times i forget and just think he's like you know doing fine but then sometimes i'll like give him a bowl a, say we have a green bowl and i put a green spoon in it and he has a really hard time differentiating and trying to find especially when he was little or trying to find the spoon in the bowl because they're the same color and so I've started, that's something that I'm like, okay, I can give the girls matching, but I always need to make sure his spoon inside his bowl is a different color so he can find it. Or like one day we were walking home and the kids started running and the girls ran all the way home and Charlie was running ahead of us. And there was a black truck that was parked partially on the sidewalk because, you know, it had a 
percent curb and it was parked just a little bit up and he was running kind of on the side of the sidewalk and he ran straight into the truck because it was dark and he couldn't see the black truck and he just straight into it and fell down and they're just things that sometimes you don't think about or don't really realize because it's like oh didn't think that would be a problem like I remember when he first started walking he would sometimes fall off of curbs because he has poor depth perception and he couldn't tell the difference between the curb and the sidewalk and the part underneath it and so I would have to say you know verbally Charlie this is a step down to him and just kind of those reminders that sometimes I forget about sure so uh, with having albinism Charlie and you kind of hit on this he's got lighter skin very fair mm-hmm. skin, um, white hair, and and then um, his his vision is impaired. Uh, today he can see. Yeah. What does the future look like? It's so it's hard to know. He shouldn't have, you know, just given albinism alone. Shouldn't have a major change in vision as he gets older. Um, his eye doctor seems confident he may be able to drive with an uh, with a what do they call it? driver's license that's a limited limited driver's license like where he just can't go over 45 miles per hour or something like that um so it, you know it's just kind of something we take day by day and hope that i mean eventually he'll be okay we have confidence that things are being developed different eye surgeries and treatments and it's not likely that he'll ever be able to see perfectly um he'll probably always be legally blind but yeah you know he adapts well and he can, I think he'll be okay. This is a journey for your entire family because nobody had had experience with this before. So you're all learning along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about what happened last year when Charlie went back to school and had a new teacher. Yeah, so he started um, second grade. We were at a new school. We had just moved and I hit, you know, he has his vision teacher that has been with him since he started kindergarten and she's awesome. And so she goes before every school year, she goes and introduces herself to the new teacher and talks to them kind of about Charlie and some of the things he needs. Like he has to have two desks at school because he has a lot of low vision devices that take up a lot of room. So she goes and helps them get set up with that kind of thing. So I knew his new teacher was aware of him um, and his situation, but I didn't really you know, think about it past then. And I'd get the general, like, Charlie, how was school today? Oh, it was good. And that's about it. Um, so after the first couple weeks, I, um, he came home and asked me about guide dogs. And he said, Mom, why can't I have a guide dog? And that wasn't something we'd ever talked about before. And I was like, where did you learn about guide dogs? And he said, my teacher, he read us a book about guide dogs. And I was like, that's cool you know, what else, like what kind of book was it? Oh, it was just about, about people with visual impairments and about blind people. And he has a lot of books at the front of his classroom. He has a whole library of books about people with albinism and blindness. And I loved that. I thought that was so special that the teacher had taken his time to collect books before school that applied to Charlie and have them in his classroom library to normalize that to all the students so that it was, and he didn't talk about it as this book is about somebody like Charlie, he just read it to them as, you know, this is a book with information about people that have these kind of things. And then Charlie eventually was able to talk to his class and, you know, show them his braille machine and all that kind of stuff. But that got us started on the journey kudos, of looking. Kudos to the teacher. Yeah, he is amazing. Who, who could look out for his kids like that. 
Absolutely. who had the foresight to go out and purchase those books to build his classroom library, all yeah. without ever drawing attention to Charlie. I love that. Meant a lot to me. Very special. so. So Charlie came home and said, "Mom, I want a dog." <laughs> yeah. So we started looking into it, and at first I was like, "Well, guide dogs are about fifty thousand um, dollars." Some you can do through different programs where you can get one donated to you or whatnot, but. Um, we found out that you usually need to be about 18 to have a fully trained guide dog because you've got to be able to, you know, follow their directions and give them commands and be able to really take care of a dog. So we kind of were like, well, sorry, buddy, I don't think we'll be able to do that now. But I just couldn't shake the feeling that that was something that would really help him. And so I started looking through different options and I found through Guide Dogs for the Blind, they have a canine buddy program. Um, where their dogs who are um, well-trained but not fully qualified to be guide dogs, like for whatever reason, they didn't make it through the guide dog training. They donate them to a child with visual impairments to be their pets, you know, not a service dog, not anything like that, but just a comfort animal, a, a pet for children with visual impairments. So we applied for that in October and Charlie got his dog in March of this year. Hmm. Kazuki. Kazuki, yep. How has Kazuki been? How has your family, you didn't have a pet before, so how has your family adjusted to having a dog in the home? It's different for sure. There's a lot of hair. He's a golden <laughs> lab, a yellow lab, so he sheds a lot, but he is the best dog. He's so calm and chill, and he's so good for Charlie. Charlie has a lot of, um, he struggles a little bit with abandonment because of, largely because of recess at school, because he'll go out to recess with some friends and they'll be playing in one area. And then the kids just playing will run and play somewhere else. And Charlie doesn't, can't see where they go. And unless they say, Charlie, let's go play over here and follow, you know, have him follow them. He can't see where they go. So he thinks my friends are leaving me. Nobody wants to play with me. And he feels a lot of abandonment. It's getting better as he gets older and gets um, more, you know, friends that are more like one-on-one -on -one friends instead of just, you know, in kindergarten and first grade, kids just play in a whole big group and not together as much. Um, so Kazuki has really helped him to deal with those abandonment issues and to feel like I always have somebody there for me and who's always by my side and Kazuki loves Charlie. They're just so connected. It's really special. And very interesting that when Kazuki came into your home, he he immediately took to Charlie. He kind of knew there was something special about his spirit that he knew this was who he is to guide and to protect. You've told me that even for you, sometimes it's been hard to get Kazuki to go out of the house unless Charlie's with you. Yes. And yesterday was my kid's first day of school and Kazuki just moped around the house all day, not having Charlie there. And when it was three o'clock and I said, should we go get the kids? He was waiting by the door and he like sprinted the whole way to the school. He knew exactly where he was going mm. to wait for Charlie. And it was so sweet. That's amazing. We can't tell Charlie's story without talking about one of the unsung heroes in your family. And that is sweet little Caroline. Uh, she has been there for this entire ride. And I, I know that, um, you, you said that when God knew that Charlie was going to be twin a, a twin, he needed someone special and, and probably couldn't have picked anyone sweeter than Caroline to come with him. Yeah, she's, she's a trooper. She really is his fiercest protector and his loyalist friend. And, you know, they fight like cats and dogs, their brother and sister, you know, but they, 
she really just watches out for him. I remember one time picking some kids in our old neighborhood up from the school bus and coming home and one of the kids made a rude comment to Charlie and Caroline dove over the seats in our car and punched him straight in the face and I was not even mad at her you know I mean obviously you don't want to encourage punching but I just felt very proud that she would stand up for her brother and yeah but uh so so can protect but then on that same hand um on the other hand her her sweet little hand will come out she'll take Charlie by the hand I find it also fascinating and you told that story that uh, Charlie was running on the sidewalk and didn't see the truck. So so seeing things both near and far, it's a little more difficult for him. So he does rely a lot on ho- handholding. And that's yeah. something Caroline has never been too shy about, correct? Right, especially at like the new school or new environment. She's so great to just take his hand and guide him through the crowd to where they're supposed to be. You know, I know, an eight-year-old girl or seven-year-old girl, however old she's been, most would just love to go and play and find their friends and do their own thing. But she's so good to just guide him through the crowds until he's somewhere safe and where he feels comfortable and not so overwhelmed. And then she can do her own thing at that point. Yeah, that's wonderful. Charlie's lucky. I know that there are, again, one in 20,000, not all people born with albinism have a twin. So Charlie's been very lucky to have that constant friend at his side. Mm-hmm. It's really special. In 2017, you received some news that I know was a little bit devastating for you, and, and that was learning that your husband was going to be deployed with his service in the military. And so he left in 2018, and you were home alone for roughly 11 months yeah. with three kids. How did you get by? So many friends and family and an amazing community in our neighborhood, and I prayers. And just I can't, like my kids were so well behaved for the most part. And I really felt like we just had a helping hand the whole time. On that very first day, and I've, um, I, I, I have a former husband who joined the military. I know how rough that is to head out mm-hmm. to watch him to say goodbye. What, what was it like that first day with three kids at home? Yeah, it was, just kind of surreal you know like it just it's emotional and sad but then in the midst of the sad and hard it's like your kids are jumping off the wall and they want to watch tv and they need a snack and you know they're sad for a minute but they were like three and four at the time that he left so that you know how much I don't know that how much did they understand we would just have to say daddy's going on a long long trip but what does that mean to them they don't have any sense of what that means and so you know it's like yes you want to be sad and mourn but also it's a snap back to reality which was kind of a welcome you know you're not allowed I guess to dwell on the the hardness and the difficulty of it because you just gotta carry on you established a routine during the deployment and uh nights were hard you know and i and i relate to that or i understand that as well there's something about having to go to sleep that becomes scary terrifying you've said you worried about intruders and think just things bumps in the night but you established a tradition with your kids something that happened every single night and i think that this speaks volumes of you and what you were able to do, the energy that you were able to pull together every single night. Tell us what you did with your kids at bedtime. Well, you know, I, I'm just going to call it survival. 
<laughs> but so I had the three little kids and trying to keep them in bed was really tough. You know, if I would like try to put them in bed and then go downstairs and do something, they would constantly be coming down or coming out of their room. And so I found that I needed to sit outside of their room. And there, so we'd have a hallway like this and their rooms were on either end of it. So I would sit outside of the hallway um, and first we'd read our scriptures and say our prayers. And then I would lay on the ground outside of their room and read them chapter after chapter of Harry Potter, because it was something that I think just my voice and the constant of it would put them to sleep. And it was entertaining for me. I love Harry Potter. And we, I mean, I don't know how much they got out of it as far as actual story. I think I was in the middle of the third book and Charlie piped up and said, mom, who's Harry? Like, well, <laughs> I'm glad you're really getting this. <laughs> it was just a, as much of a comfort for me, I think, as it was for them. All of your dreams, the kids' dreams, hopes, wishes came true this past summer when you were able to travel to Florida and to actually visit Harry Potter World. Yes, it was really awesome. That was, we went, I mean, as much for Forrest and I as for the kids, but we just, you know, we had to have that experience and it was awesome. Yeah. Holly, thanks so much for coming in today, for talking to us a little bit more about your experiences with the albinism community and raising Charlie. It has been so much fun to learn more about the things that you have learned, and we appreciate you for being vulnerable and opening up and sharing with each of us. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. I loved that interview. It was so fascinating for me to learn more about Holly. Obviously, I remember when she was so pregnant with those babies. And I remember when they were born, just such cute little babies. When twins are born, you, it seems like word always travels so fast. But I have to say, the only thing I am disappointed is that you didn't talk at all in the interview about Holly's hobby, which I think is so fascinating. Maybe it's a job or something for her, but she has the coolest Instagram called House Hack Life. We'll have to link to it, but check it out. She has so many tips and tricks over there about house hacking. We should probably have her back someday and talk about all of her house hacking tips. She has so many wonderful things to share. We just ran out of time. We didn't have time to cover all of it. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us this week. It's always so much fun to catch up. We hope that you will also follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Don't forget to follow on YouTube and share with a friend. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. See you later.